You are listening to the Become a Guitarist Today podcast with Adam Roach. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 175 with my guest today, Elise Krenzel. So Elise is the author of a book called Under My Skin, Drama, Trauma and Rock and Roll. It's all about her life and going on tour with KISS back in 1977, where she was hired as a rock journalist to hang with the band and write all about their time in Japan. But more of that in today's podcast. So I've got some great interviews coming up, so make sure you subscribe to the channel. And don't forget, all these interviews are available on YouTube as well. So see the show notes for the the links for the YouTube channel as well. So let's go over to my interview now, all the way to Texas with Elise Krenzel. Welcome. Hi. Thank you, Adam. (laughs) No problem. How are you? I'm really good. It's weekend. So whereabouts are you now in in the States? I'm now in Austin, Texas. Okay. Yeah. And how are things there? Getting better? Um, It's, well, we just had a tornado about 30 miles from us a couple of days ago. Yeah. And the store where I was doing one of the book signings was kind of blown away, damaged. (laughs) Besides that, it's great. Today, it's probably in Celsius about 27 degrees. Okay. Wow. So so they weren't... 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. So they weren't literally blown away from the book signing. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was afterwards. Oh, okay. I guess people... People were so impressed. They were really literally blown away. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So talking about the book signing, that's what we're here today to talk about your book, Under My Skin, Drama, Trauma and Rock and Roll. So can you tell us a bit about when this first book came about? So, um, well, it's been in me for a good 20 years. And I would say that's probably true of many authors. They have the idea and to sit down and write the book is another story. Mm. However, I did sit down and write it during COVID. Okay. So the the whole book's pretty much about your journey, (coughs) sorry, your journey growing up and into your kiss times. But what I'd like to do today, if it's okay for you, is actually talk about some of the chapters and go through some of them and find out a bit more about yourself and uh, some of the behind the scenes, I guess. Sure. Absolutely. Go ahead. Ask away. All right. Now, actually, before we do that, I just want to ask you, when you went through these journeys, did you actually write them down or have them on a a tape recorder or both? I can't remember all of the journeys, what I did. However, I've had diaries since I was 11 years old. Mm. So I must have been journaling. Bits and bobs. Yep. <laughs> Certainly as a journalist, when I became a journalist, and you can read that in the book, yep. one of the articles that I wrote that was actually published is reprinted in the book. Yep. So recording, yes, back in the day, absolutely. One of those micro recorders, a Sony micro recorder. Yeah. So- <laughs> Yes, and going starting from uh, New York City. So you actually start in 1984, and then we go backwards and go through. So, um, so what was your main reason for doing that, uh, Chapter One? 
Well, I wanted to give, okay, so the prologue starts with a scene which takes place in the future, in New York. The epilogue ends at that same future. Yes. And I wanted to give it bookends so that you could see the age between five and 20, the book, is part one of a trilogy. Even if you don't read all three, each one can stand alone. And in my opinion, leading it and ending it with 1984 was more of a cliffhanger to give some sort of context. But I don't know, did you think that? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, uh, like you're saying, this book in itself just stands up for itself. Like, you know, reading the whole thing, it's just uh, incredible the stories in there. I'm sure anyone that gets it will think the same thing, which we'll get into a little bit today. (laughs) Without giving too much away. And defining incredible. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, so there we go into, so we find out all about um, yeah, 1984, and then we go back to uh, 1961. So in the Bronx, growing up in the Bronx, which I'm sure everyone's heard a lot about, but reading it in person, that was fantastic just to read. I mean, not fantastic, but you know, um, fantastic writing, I should say. All the hard yeah. times. and So was that hard to write? Well... I think it was harder to live through. And after years of contemplation, therapy, self-awareness, self-actualization, blah, diddy, blah, I reached a point where I was objective enough to say, wait a sec, a child's memory also is a memory. It may not be the truth. Anyway, what is truth? Truth is what you perceive. I'm sure my brother had a completely different experience. I know for sure he did, as did all the other characters, parents, um, friends, relatives. And so, sure, it was painful growing up. And I guess I kept that with me like a badge of honor until I could finally release it. Yeah. So, so your brother, your brother was um, two years younger, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. So actually talking about that, when we go into the next chapter, you talk a little bit about, um, you know, your brother got bullied and you, you were in there to, to protect him and do that. So it's actually funny because my, my daughter, she's two years older than um, my son as well. And he actually just got bullied yesterday at school by a, a grade, he's in prep, you know, by a grade three-year-old. And, um, so it's actually going back reading that chapter this morning, actually, because I thought, wow, I just really wanted to get into what your thoughts were and like, you know, how you go about the bullying situation. And really, this is the part where you become like you know, a really strong person, because like you say in the book, you really do um, you know, support your brother and help him grow up as well. So that a bullying situation, I guess that just come second nature to you, like you heard that and you're there straight away. <laughs> I think that we are all children of, we are victims of victims. I once read that somewhere. Until you no longer are a victim. However, if you're bullied yourself, I guess I was bullied by my mother. 
So yeah. was my brother. So I knew all about that, but my personality and outlook was more extrovert. And so I'm not saying I dealt with it great. Yeah. I just dealt with it my way. My brother sucked it all in. So did I, but I didn't show that to the world. So my first reaction was, well, if you touch him as you'll, that story in the book, yeah. I ran down to, I could hear it. I ran down, I'm gonna punch that guy out. And I wasn't strong. <laughs> it was more of the case of when a mother uh, or a father gets that extraordinary adrenaline to lift a car because their child might be hit. It was that kind of adrenaline which enabled me to beat up a bully. So in saying it, do you think you become more of the, the mother role to your brother? I was, and that is part of the whole problem. Hmm. I was a mother to my mother and to my brother. And eventually I tried that with my father. Didn't work at all because he didn't like his mother. So that just didn't work. <laughs> yeah. It didn't work with anyone. I thought I was doing everyone the biggest favor on earth. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah, I'm sure your brother was grateful for what you did. I mean, I was super close with him. We, yeah. uh, I, I loved that little guy. So going over to uh, chapter three, now in the 60s, and this is where yeah, we're talking about your brother got bullied, but also at this same time, this is where you took up the guitar. And actually, did your brother play guitar as well? He was talking about he, he got electric, yeah. He got into electric guitar. I was into um, acoustic. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you get into the guitar? Well, a couple of things. I had a choice. I could either go to ballet lessons. No, thank you. <laughs> or guitar. Because our apartment wasn't large enough for a piano. And I don't think my parents were thinking about the violin. My father was a jazz aficionado. He had thousands of LPs. My mother enjoyed flamenco and Spanish classical, which is what she encouraged me to play. And I love pop music. So that it was. But they bought me a Gibson nylon string. And I started with Spanish classical. So do you feel like I was saying, you know, from the chapter before, you did go through a lot of these hard times. So when you started guitar, do you think that was more of a, like it really calmed you down as a person? I think that it calmed me and gave me an outlet during the time I was at a lesson because my, my guitar teacher was my hero. He was more than a hero. He was a refuge. I could go to him and I felt he was the only one who understood me. Yeah. He was sensitive. He was blind. And yet he felt everything. Whereas my parents who could see, could not see me, yeah. but Jose could see me. Wow. So to answer you, yes, during the lesson and yes, when I was practicing and then the real world came in and I was just trying to get by it wasn't only tears. I do have an optimistic outlook and a, a bubbly kind of personality, which is my go-to. 
so I, I could self-generate. However, if I look back at my childhood, I would probably say that I cried more than I laughed. Yeah. Honestly. Mm. So, so with the guitar, you, I mean, so that's my job. I'm a guitar teacher as well. So I can really relate to how you're talking about uh, with your teacher, but I'm not blind, of course. <laughs> was he like partially blind or was fully blind? No, fully blind. Oh, wow. Really? Fully blind. Oh, geez. So with him being blind, did you do reading as well? Reading of the music? I did, yes. Oh, you did? Okay. Yes. So he would he would give me the sheet music yep. and say, read this out loud. And then he would move my fingers on on the onto the right fret. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. So you're saying, I mean, again, I've had that same situation, I guess, with some of my students where I could tell they've had come from a hard background, but when they come yeah. in here, but it's funny though, like uh, even at the schools I teach at, some of the kids, they're like the, the naughtiest ones of the school, you know, they're, they're running all over the place, they're running away. And, but when they're at the guitar lessons, it's just a different person. Like I was saying, it just really calms them down and they really concentrate and some of them, They've got to become you know, in bands and writing songs, everything else. Just it's like they've had that life experience for a reason to, to get these songs out there, I guess. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I didn't mean to give an impression that I wasn't calm during the lesson. I was in another world. Yeah. yeah. Music, music is the only art form that is immediate. It reaches your heart and soul immediately and simultaneously a painting will never do that yeah. even performance art it may wow you i love theater what's theater without music yeah that's right what's film without music yeah what's life without music i could never imagine no so that's yeah that's your your guitar playing which all happens in um Chapter three now, going over to chapter four. Um, now, I call this one, because a lot of things happen with your parents. I call this one the shameless chapter. So from the American show or the English show, whichever one, I prefer the American one. But um, yeah, would you say the same thing from the, the hit show, Shameless? I would. <laughs> I would. And it, it, it's interesting. Um, some people that read the book said, Oh, you berated your parents so badly. And I don't feel that way. From the teenager's perspective, she was living a kind of hell on many different levels. So how did she cope? What did she do? What were her wily ways? How did she use her imagination? Look, children of abuse, whether whatever gender, children of abuse create fantasy to survive. You have to, you have to create characters. Yes. You go outside your own body because you don't want to suffer it, whether it's physical, sexual, mental, verbal, emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. So you, you, the mind has a wonderful way of tricking itself into survival unless it is so god awful where you know you you just want to end it all yeah yeah that's right. which i did at certain points but didn't yes 
for sure. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this book. <laughs> um, now, I'm pretty sure, is it the, the same chapter, this way your, your parents split as well? Yeah. Yes. So you're around about 13 years old. About this Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So this one, again, really drives to me as well, because, um, you know, again, been through the same situation with my daughter but she was eight years old at the time and she still went through a hard time being, being eight you know she still knew what was happening but being 13 i think that's yeah right in that age where it really gets to you like like you're describing the book i guess and you know i i also divorced when yeah. my son was eight. Oh, really Yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, oh, all the things I went through as a parent, trying to, I don't know, circumnavigate what I had gone through as a child. And yet my son handled it completely different because he's completely different. Yeah. Yet, of course, it leaves its mark. Oh, for sure. It leaves its mark. Yeah. Yeah, so for, for yourself, though, yeah, being 13, um, how did you find that whole situation when they first set you down? I mean, I, I don't want to give it away. It's in the book, so. A little bit is okay. Yeah. Uh, I was enraged. I was enraged because they were lying to me and my brother. Mm. They were outright lying. They were pretending. They were what they called jonesing, keeping up with the Joneses which means to put on a front, to appear a certain way and create this family that didn't exist. Mm. It took years to put the pieces together to understand, oh, what happened prior to divorce, divorce, oh, X, Y, Z, it led to, to different things. But the way it was handled was miserable. They were immature. Well, so was I in the way I responded. Hmm. Yeah. Like I said, being 13, are you? Well, yeah, of <laughs> course. Yeah. Exactly. Now, at the same time, and I go back to the guitar playing, <laughs> did you um, did you find through this, you like you had a break from the guitar or it actually made you go more into the guitar? Well, that's a great question because what happened was we moved and we moved away from Jose and I could not get to him because it was just way too far. Oh, okay. So my mother encouraged me, carry on, play the guitar and I refused. To me, that would be disloyal. Mm. He was my teacher, he understood me. I almost felt like that would be too timing or cheating. <laughs> I could only go to him. Yeah. And so I switched my allegiance from playing music to writing poetry. Okay. And then later on, these will like both sync up, which we'll get into. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I kept journals from the time I was 11. Okay. Oh, wow. So that's yeah, how... and if you, if you read them today, it's very interesting. The language is so different because of the euphemisms or the slang of the time. <laughs> like right on or <laughs> far out, which means cool. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Nobody would know what that is today. <laughs> so do you still have those journals? I do. Oh, well. I do. <laughs> it helped me write part of this book. I mm. looked into those journals as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Dug them out. Yeah. Dusted off the cobwebs. <laughs> yeah, so that's our, our shameless um, chapter. <laughs> now, the, the next one, so going from one like full-on chapter into another one, <laughs> your experimental stage. Now, this one, yeah. So, this, so we're going from shameless into, I guess, um, ooh, what would you call it? Mini porn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know, all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so we really started to experience through the different uh, sexual encounters, I guess. Yes. And I honestly think that parents who who deny or pretend that they're Children do not experiment sexually. They're living in some la-la land. Of course they do. Children actually can experiment when they're six years old, whether they're playing doctor or just whatever they're doing. Yeah. So, yeah. However, that was the 1970s, so it was definitely free. Yeah. <laughs> coming off the 60s, at least in certain parts in America, probably not in the Bible Belt. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and definitely in places in Scandinavia or Holland. I don't know about Australia. Was it the same then? Yeah, I guess I was only, I was born in 71, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But quite did sure. you read about it, maybe? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. my so, parents. Right. <laughs> so yeah, I, I uh-huh. It was experimental to say the least. Yeah. And also in the same chapter, uh, you, you talk about all the, you know, the thousands of LPs uh, that you have. So do you still have them? No, 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 no. I started divesting of stuff, I guess in the eighties, because I had lived in Japan for five years. Well, I lived in Europe for one year, I lived in Japan for five, and then eventually I wound up living for an additional 21 years in various countries. So on that first round, back to America, yes, I schlepped all of those albums. However, in the 80s, I made a transition. It was very tough to do, and I cried through it. But I like to be on the edge of technology and I don't, I feel like I won't be left behind with any technology. I will not be one of these elderly people at 80 saying, where, how do I use that? <laughs> no, that yeah. won't be me. I'll be the one like, where's the hologram? Um, <laughs> where's my flying car? <laughs> so I transferred all the LPs to CD, sold the LPs, bought the CDs. But the worst of all of that was transferring from CD to iPod. That was the killer because I could no longer see album covers. Exactly. So all I did with the iPod was just, okay, put it on shuffle. 
7,000 songs. <laughs> Is that the yeah. same? <laughs> no, and now I lost those because you cannot transfer iPod to streaming. <laughs> <laughs> so, <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely had a lot. Um, yeah, the LPs. And that was that from your, your father as well, all those LPs? Those were my LPs. Oh, okay. Because I had a record collection from when I was, what, eight years old, eight or nine, because every weekend I would get an allowance. And the first thing that I would do, I never had Barbie dolls or dolls. I, I bought records, mm. went to the record store and bought 45s. Yeah. I had the psychedelic case. I had one of those stereos. Actually, it was mono, but it was a record player that had speakers. So sort of like a boom box, oh, yeah, yeah. you could carry it, yeah. well, you know, and I would do the, do the, the Freddy or the, the swim or the monkey, <laughs> listen to those records, <laughs> wearing white plastic go-go boots <laughs> and mini skirts. <laughs> now, another big chapter, <laughs> they're all big chapters, I guess. <laughs> your um, Sweet 16 going through Europe. Now, this one just amazes me, like the, the age you were, and then going just over to Europe, just picking up and going over. How was that? <laughs> that was liberating. First of all, that probably wouldn't happen today no. in that particular way. So just for your listeners, back in those days, we, a group of kids who didn't know each other, met at the JFK airport, which is New York City's John F. Kennedy airport. And we flew to Amsterdam, not knowing each other and not knowing our tour guide who we were flying to meet. And that's what we did. We went in a VW bus, like the magical mystery tour through nine countries. And we camped out at campsites in every country. Yeah. And there's a lot of stories in the book all about those different camps. <laughs> All about the camps and what Elise did at those camps. <laughs> exactly. Naughty, naughty Elise. <laughs> well, I was going to say that, but no, you said it, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, all the names in the book have been changed for confidential rights, I guess. Yes. Because <laughs> there's a lot of names in this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so you come back and then go back over to Germany in chapter number seven and again being a strong person this really comes out in this chapter as well you know came from that time being in germany saying what you feel to the german people <laughs> which don't really hear of you know <laughs> especially being that young and so were you ever scared well i think you want to give your listeners a little context here yes go ahead give them a little context okay so the so when you're over in Germany, the person you're with, their their father, uh, was a, uh, is it true German military? Was he or? Let's call a spade a spade. Okay. He was a Nazi. Yeah, and you're pretty much saying what you think about the Nazis and the whole war and everything. So you both had big differences, but the difference is you're in his country. <laughs> Uh, I was in his house. Yeah, his house. Mm, so he, he didn't like that. Well, look, he allowed me in. He didn't 
but he didn't like me and who I, and my people, if you will, yes. my people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I let him have a, a piece of my mind. Sure did. <laughs> <laughs> and so did his son. It stuck up for me. And was it uh, Amsterdam you went as well this time? Yes. Yeah. So that now that this is a year, a year and a half later, right? Because I had gone through Amsterdam during this sweet 16. Yeah, yeah. And now I graduated high school and now I'm back in Amsterdam looking for my first boyfriend who is nowhere to be found. And I stayed there for a while and got myself some interesting jobs, to say the least, like modeling nude for the Rijksmuseum. Oh, really? Or, yeah, or serving hamburgers at the very first McDonald's. Wow. On the Roquin, and then subsequently getting fired because they accused me of stealing money from the cash register, which I never did. Mm. And interesting adventures there. And then I really wanted to come home. Hmm. So there's some, uh, some bonus little stories that aren't in the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. That's interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, so then um, Chapter 8, coming back to the States and getting your first apartment at 17, which, again, you don't really hear a lot of these days, especially here. I know in Australia you don't really hear of <laughs> being that young in your first apartment. And same here, same in the States, yeah. Adam. It's not very common. Yeah. But I was turning 18, so I was 17, but my birthday was coming up that that month or so, so yeah. And so this is also the time where you first started getting into your journalism as well, like reviewing concerts and albums and everything else. Um, so do you remember what made you first Get into that? Well, I actually was published before I had my apartment. Okay. Um, I was still in high school. And what made me, I guess there was a coalition in my mind of, I love music. Yeah. I was a walking Wikipedia of sorts. And I knew every band member, where they, which band they played in, what their instrument, what their gigs were, their movements, the type of music, how they, how they transformed themselves. And I was reviewing albums and sending them into magazines at the time, because this is pre-internet, obviously. I'm doing this for about two years. And so I knew, loving music, and loving writing, I should be a rock journalist. Okay. And so it took about two years until my first article was published. I never gave up. I knew it would happen. I just didn't know when. Mm. Circus Magazine was the one. Oh, yes. It was a very popular magazine. Yeah, no longer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Circus, Cream, Rolling Stone. The only one that still stands is Rolling Stone of those three. Yeah. Yeah, and I got a lot of those old magazines around somewhere. Do you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Circus and Cream, yep, for sure. Oh, wow, yeah. Oh, I don't even have one. I think I might have one copy. Okay. Yeah, no, so, I mean, I was a huge Van Halen fan. My brother was a Kiss fan, so 
Um, yeah, everything was had Kiss or Van Halen on the front would grab it. <laughs> right, right. So that was like mid seventies, early seventies. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which leads us into our next chapter. Just a, just a little chapter about a thing you went on now. Band called Kiss. Oh yeah, small small chapter, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for the Kiss fans out there, just that you you know, the whole book is not about Kiss. Yeah. It leads up to when I become a rock journalist, and when uh, the press office, which was the PR company for Kiss, called me and invited me on a press junket to go to Japan as one of ten journalists, and I did. Yeah. That's just amazing, crazy stories. <laughs> but what I'll do uh, here, I'll just let everyone know that, um, so Elise, you have done a lot of other interviews talking about the KISS days. Um, so what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to link those into the show notes. So if people want to really find out about the KISS times, yeah, go check out those interviews because they're great interviews as well. Great. KISS times. But, um, but just touching a little bit on that, the KISS days. So I know you yeah, went over and you didn't really know much about the band, I guess, at that time. I mean, you knew who they were, I take it. But oh, yeah. I had, seen Kiss. I had seen Kiss live. Yeah. I was not a fan. Yeah. And I told the manager, I won't go because I don't like them. So unless you let me write what I want to write, I'm not going. Hmm. Snooty little 19-year-old that I was. <laughs> My mother used to call me a wise ass. Um. And I used to say, I, my famous retort to that was, well, I don't have brains where I sit. <laughs> Proving her point. <laughs> <laughs> Any case. And so I, I was nonplussed about Kiss. Yeah. However, I thought I would give it a chance. And you can read about that in the book and all the escapades that happened during that tour. Everything in this book is true. It happened. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's no exaggeration. And that's what is why I wanted to write it. Because when I would tell people the stories that have happened to me, some of the stories, people were just like, what? Is that what? Are you making it up? And that's only the first part of my life. <laughs> Sometimes I think now, Adam, Maybe I had this life in order to write the books, not the other way around. Yeah. And also, I think it's in the next chapter, chapter 10, where you talk about the, uh, the night out in Japan and <laughs> a crazy story there. Oh, my God. That was <laughs> what I cannot imagine now is how did I come up with that story on the spot? Mm. Uh, I was so, f I, I was out there, it, it wild. Yeah. An actress w would come up with something like this. <laughs> so maybe I missed my calling. Maybe I should have been an actress. <laughs> I don't know. All these characters, these, these scenes that I got myself involved with, some were dangerous, oh, really I gonna, dangerous. I was just going to say that, I mean, especially in this chapter, you know, Thankfully, you're still here to tell this story because, I mean, there's a chance there where maybe something could have happened, you know. I know. <laughs> I know. And I think when people think of adventure, look, I would never go bungee jumping. I mm. just wouldn't. 
I'll take a high, high roller coaster ride. I won't go bungee jumping. So for me, I guess psychologically, I would take risks, which were the equivalent to another person of bungee jumping. But I would bungee jump into situations where sometimes it was life or death. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I'm not sure, Adam, if that's a result of having such a weird childhood where there's no boundaries, so you don't know boundaries, or if that was really my adventuresome nature. And because of those lack of boundaries, that it just basically was an open gate to say, okay, go and explore. Yeah. I, I can't really differentiate. Maybe I don't have to. All I know is I opened that door to take some very strange adventures. 100% for sure. <laughs> A lot of adventures. <laughs> <laughs> you did stay in Japan, didn't you, after that? Well, I was offered a, a magnificent opportunity to stay in Japan, and that was offered to me on the KISS tour. Yeah. The book ends with yeah. that. Yeah. And then, as I said earlier, it jumps to 1984, five years later. So yeah, so in those years, in between like the, the, uh, the KISS tour, then coming back to America, um, that's all in the next book, is that yes. right? Yes, yep. yes, yes, okay. and okay. more. There'll be yes. Japan, there'll be Europe. Um, yeah. There'll be a couple of marriages. <laughs> just, <laughs> just a few. Just a few. Yeah. Foreigners too. Well, they were foreign to me. <laughs> but talking about marriages though, like I noticed at the start of the book, you do dedica dedicate this book to your son, uh, Florian. Yes. Yeah, so he's, I guess he's another big part of your life now. And, Look, he's in college now, in university. He lives in New York, so that's 1,700 miles away. Mm. Um, yes, he's a big part of my life, and yet he's becoming a man. He is a man. <laughs> he lives on his own. He has one and a half more years, and then he's out into his career, wow. or the beginning of a journey of perhaps many careers. Mm. Yeah. And has he read your book? I'm guessing he would have. <laughs> yes, he has. Yeah. I'm, I'm on his case. I'm like, where's that Amazon review, son? <laughs> <laughs> so, so was there anything in the book that he had, didn't know before or he already knew everything? He kind of knew, not all the details, yet nothing shocks him. Nothing. <laughs> Whatever is, you said soft porn or... Whatever is, it's there. And he appreciates the directness and the honesty. So he can look at it objectively. It's like, oh, that was my mom. That's cool. <laughs> Which is really cool to be able to have my son read this book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and say, because he didn't know me then. Mm. So it's a, in a way, it's a whole other person. Yeah. But as he said to me, he goes, I'm proud of you, mom, that you revealed all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of revealing stuff, I guess. 
Which some people probably wouldn't want to do, but you've done. Great. But if you read other books about people's trauma or people's abuse or I've read so many memoirs, Uh, people, they, they show their soul, they shed. Yeah. And it's cathartic. I think it's important so that other people know they're not alone. And, and like you're saying, you know, going through all those things that you did and still being here to talk about it and being a strong person that you are, you know, it just really comes across in this book and I'm sure it will in the next book as well. But um, Yeah, so I just really congratulate you on, on doing the book and everything that you've done and look forward to the rest of it. Thank you so very, very much. I can tell you this though, I wasn't always strong, you know? However, the Japanese and the Chinese, for a matter of fact, have in their language, this symbol, it means person. You fall if you don't have someone to lean on. And I think that what happened with me was I became so codependent that I gave my power away. I had to take it back. And when I took it back, the real strength came. I mean, not to say that the things I did weren't strong, they were, yet at this point in my life, it's a very different type of strength. Yeah, that's right. yeah. You know, then I was young and it was bravado, more like Zorro, yeah. the female version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's just a soft, uh, I, it's quiet, mm. quieter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. without, without giving too much away for the next book, um, so I know we did talk about previously about the songs you wrote and how that's all come about from you playing the guitar. And like I was saying, um, you know, people going through those situations and playing music at the same time, come out with some of the best songs. So is that in the next book or is that just something? Oh, no, <laughs> not really. I, I, I can just tell your audience that yes, I did write songs yeah. because I thought, why not? I love music. I was in the right place at the right time. The bands in Japan, at the time they didn't speak English. So I said, okay, what if I write you some lyrics? And they said, sure. And then I wrote it and then they sang it. And then I collected royalties. Then I was happy. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's great. That's a great story. I'm glad that happened. I didn't do it for many bands, just for a few, because I was just so busy doing other things. And that was just one of the many, yeah, like, oh, okay, I'll shoot off a a couple of songs. Like, I would just sit there and daydream and listen to the music because they were instrumental. Said, well, what if we layered on some lyrics? That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. (laughs) And I guess the, the next big question is, do you still play guitar? (laughs) <laughs> oh no, no, I'm uh, no. Although I will say this, in 2008, I returned to the states after 20 years in Europe, and I did take lessons for half a year. Okay. I thought, let me get back into it, and I just, I don't know, 
I just didn't have the moves anymore and probably the patience because look, I was eventually going through a divorce. Things were not good. My mother was sick, dying of cancer. So it wasn't the same. I couldn't devote the hour or more to practice. No. And so I just said, blah, no. My son played violin, then he played clarinet, then he played drums. So that was good. Yeah. Yeah, I did perform on my elementary school, my primary school graduation, Classical Gas by Mason Williams. Ah, yes. Yeah, that's a great one. That's, a lot of our students learn that for their exams. So I know wow. exactly what you mean. Yeah. So it is a tricky song. So well done. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But yeah, that, that's pretty much the all the stories I had about the book. Then I guarantee everyone that gets it uh, she's going to be blown away. So some of the stories in there, like I was saying at the start, each each chapter is a, like a little mini, mini series in itself. And actually, <laughs> here's a question for you. <laughs> If this did ever come out as a movie, who would play you? Oh, if it did, and I would love that it would. Well, I've had something in my mind um, who could play the young me. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you in just a second, because I wrote it down. Okay. Um, Florence Pugh or Pug, I don't know how you pronounce it, P-U-G-H, Belle Powley, or Millicent Simmons. These are all young actors. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, it's definitely worth someone to, to pick it up and make a, a, doc, a movie about, <laughs> or a series. <laughs> Let's hope. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, well, hopefully, um, like I was saying, we can get you down here to Australia and do some signings and um, promote your movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd love to. I'd love to, Adam. Yeah, yeah, let's make that happen. For sure. We can do that. Thanks again. And we'll see you on the next book.